verses 1 through 4 as well. Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through... We're actually going to read verses 1 through 8. Verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to hold our place and we're going to run over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, okay? And just... um, Again, all of these scriptures, as we proceed through Revelation, are very uh, serious and sober, and so we want to consider them tonight. I try to cat, I try to strike a balance of not going too fast through these passages, nor belaboring it, going too slow. I want to give you a good sense of what the scripture means and a uh, what you might say a, a few takeaways for right now in life. Okay. So let's look at this. Revelation chapter 6, the scene in heaven here. We believe the tribulation is about to start right now. Revelation 6, verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying unto me, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, And a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And, that there, and there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death. And hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger. And with death and with the beasts of the earth. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Hold your place in Revelation because we'll, it's our main place tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verses 1 through 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 1 through four is what we'll read. This is written to a New Testament church. Paul says, But the times, but of the times and, and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, remember that phrase, we're going to talk about that. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. 
But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Let's read a few more verses here. Ye are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Watch and be sober. So back in Revelation, we're going to talk about the four horsemen unleashed. Just to re- remind us quickly, the last two chapters, we have a vision in heaven. Chapter 4, God on His throne. And John says, this is what I saw. The crystal sea, the four beasts, which are unique angels, cherubims, incredibly, incredible looking, incredibly, um, uh, just their presence was amazing. And then the elders, the 24 elders, I believe, represent, are representatives of what the church's presence in heaven. And then, so he sees the Lord, he sees them worship the Lord. Then chapter 5, the vision is the Lord has this, in his right hand, a seven-sealed book. It's probably like a scroll. And as you break each seal, it unravels a little more and unravels a little more and unravels. He had the seven-sealed book in his hand. And um, the angel in heaven says, who's worthy to open the book? It's like, come try, who can, who can take this? Who has the worthiness to come take this book and open it? And John cries because they did a search to heaven and earth and under the earth, and no one was worthy to open that, to take it and to open it. In other words, no one was worthy to come and approach God Almighty and proceed to open up this book, which turns out to be a book of judgments, and authorize the carrying out of it. Except one, a lamb was found. Well, the angel said, one of the elders says, Fear not, here's the line of the tribe of Judah. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book. He earned the right to do this, not by political overtaking, but by a sacrificial death on the cross and rising from the dead. He has the right to come take this book and initiate the judgments on a God-sin-loving Lamb, Christ-rejecting world, he has the right to do this. Sin-loving, God-hating. And the Lamb comes, and John says, Whoa, I see a Lamb as, as if he had been slain and uh, with seven eyes and seven horns. It's just symbolic of the Lord Jesus Christ, though he's a Lamb, he's meek, and, and he, it shows there's some evidence of his, of his scarring as they had been slain. We'll forever be able to see in some way, though Jesus is a glorified body, we'll forever be able to detect His scarring for us. I'm, in a way, I'm glad. Who would want to forget that? He says, I see His lamb as He had been slain. He had seven eyes and seven horns. Seven horns picture His perfect power. Seven is the number of perfectness, completeness. Just right. Not too much, not too little. Just right. He has perfect power, perfect vision. The Lord... The lamb comes, takes a scroll. When he takes a scroll, all worship in the world, heaven, earth, under the earth, everywhere of every creature erupts. First, with the elders and the beasts, chapter 5, just incredible. We could almost go back and just think about worship just from those passages and pull some other messages out of this chapter, 5. They all worship the Lord. They fall down. They throw, out his, they throw their crowns. They play their harps, all this stuff. They sing, Lord, you're worthy to do all that power and glory and everything and uh, lavish worship. Then all of a sudden, John's like, well, all these angels, all of a sudden, hundreds of millions of angels, myriads and myriads of angels all of a sudden announce this praise to God. And then the whole world does it. And I don't know when the whole world does this. We know eventually everybody, every knee's bow, every tongue's going to confess. But John says, I saw the whole world. 
Every creature. Say, worthy is the Lamb to receive power and glory and honor. And then the beasts, when they saw that response of worship, they said, Amen. That's how the chapter ends. Now chapter 6 starts out with some horses. How many of you like to see a horse? How many of you like horses? All right. You like, about everybody likes horses. Miss Ann grew up with some horses in Wyoming. Um, so she likes horses. And some of you do, obviously. I do. doesn't mean I'm good at riding one. I, I would like to get better at it. How many, you know, one thing, it's one thing, okay, and Gilbert in the, historically is known to people that had horses, and it's kind of becoming less and less. Queen Creek, the same thing. Occasionally, you'll see somebody riding a horse around where I live, Gilbert and, uh, pardon me, Warner in Greenfield area, Finley Farms. There's a few neighbors next to us that have kind of some equestrian trails, equestrian property. People have horse property. Um, occasionally, we'll see somebody kind of walking their horse or going, walk, trotting slow on a horse. And that gets my attention. But do you know what always snaps my attention? Is when I see it gallop. When I see a horse start to giddy up and go, whoa, look at that. Just the sound. That captures my attention. Doesn't it capture your attention? When you see a horse get up and go and gallop, captures your attention, doesn't it? Um, I, I like it. I, there's so many things I'd like to say. Well, here's John's attention is captured by these horses. And they're not cute little ponies. They're not cute little horses you get to do a little trail ride on at camp. There's something more serious about this that uh, we need to be sober about. There's four horses here. Now, I want to say, please listen to me. I try to, as I go along and teach these scriptures, these little verses, we'll take verses at a time, little components. We're trying to go through sections of scripture. I try to back up and help you, remind you of kind of the context and uh, just give some uh, breath to it before we go into it. This, from chapter 6 on, is what the Old Testament prophets called, and even a few mentioning in the New Testament, it's called the Day of the Lord. Most of the time when the phrase Day of the Lord is mentioned in the Bible, it doesn't mean His birthday and happiness. It means, all right, He's coming in to take care of business. And it means cleaning up stuff first. The day of the Lord. You could, I'll give you scriptures you want to look up later. Amos 5.18. Joel, that's a theme in the book of Joel. Joel 1.15. Joel chapter 2 verses 1, 11, and 31. Joel chapter 3 verse 14. A major theme in the book of Joel. The day of the Lord where he's anticipating God coming in to you know, clear out the nonsense, clear out the sin, and set up his plan. This is the day of the Lord here. It's starting right here. In fact, Joel, there's a famous verse in Joel 3.14. It says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Right now, we live in a time, it's basically the valley of decision. We're in a timeline, by the way, a big, the big picture of, of Scripture and of prophecy and of history. This is the time to decide for Jesus Christ. If you're here, you're accustomed to coming to Royal View and you're a regular face, but you've never really decided to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you better do it. Because when the rapture happens, when the rapture comes, things get altered a lot. Now's the time to decide for Jesus. Because the day of the Lord's come. 
This is what the prophets call the day of the Lord. Secondly, a couple, just four quick points to preview this. This passage here parallels, and I'm not going to run over to it, but how many of you have heard of the Olivet Discourse? Olivet Discourse. Okay, it's, we're going to get to it eventually in Matthew, Matthew 24. It's a, a serious passage where Jesus actually, really what, what's happening in Revelation is an enlargement on some of the things Jesus already said in Matthew 24. You can even find, you know, Matthew 24 verses, uh, verses 4 and 5 are basically uh, elaborated on here in Revelation 6, 1 and 2. Matthew 24 verses uh, 6 and 7 are also elaborated on in Revelation chapter 6 verse 3 and 4. In other words, as we go through each of these horsemen, Jesus had already said something about this. He didn't say horsemen, but he, he announced some of these same types of judgments and phases of peril coming on the earth. So Jesus had already made a mention of this. He calls it the beginning of sorrows. Number three, uh, as we look at this text by way of introduction, these judgments, as we proceed forward in the book of Revelation, you have, um, you have these seal judgments. There's these three phases of judgments. Seal judgments, trumpet judgments, and then they're vile judgments, like V-I-A-L, where there's something, there's a potion poured out, Okay. There's those three sections, segments of judgments. Now, let me just say this. If you get deep and start studying the book of Revelation, you're going to find good people of our crowd, of our mindset, taking the Bible literally, that sometimes have a little differing on how they think the chronology is in here within the tribulation. Now, I'm not talking about not outside. Sometimes the, the seven-year time, you can't always pinpoint all the exact day and year within those seven years that everything happened. But I'm going to try to preach to you the gist of what I know. So some people have a little different, like, did these, do these judgments overlap? Do they, are they just a parallel? They all happen at the same time? I think, that's, I think it's chronological. It appears to me strictly chronological. There's all the seal judgments. The seventh one opens into seven trumpets, and then it goes on to later on vials. I think it's strictly chronological, and uh, that's what it appears to be. But gains intensity. Gains intensity. God does a wave of judgments on the earth, and then the next wave is more intense. He's like turning up the heat slowly. Get it? He wants people to repent. And then the next thing I want to say before we even get into this, and I know this is maybe this is floated around in your brain. Maybe somebody's even thinking of this when they, uh, right now, somebody might say, who cares? We're not going to be there. Woo, is this for our entertainment? We're not going to be there, Pastor Henry. And I'm convinced we're not. But wait a minute. Let's let God answer that question. Why should I care about this? I'm not going to be there. Well, let's answer that with this. God wanted John to see all this. He wasn't there. God said to John, here, come on, I'll show you this. One of the angels said, let me show you this, John. Let me show you this, John. Not only that, and the Bible says that this book in Revelation 22, in fact, let me take a quick peek at it. Why don't you do with me? Revelation 22, verse 16. All right, no, let's look at verse 6 and verse 16. Look what the Lord says as he's winding down the book. Revelation 22, verse 6 and 16. He said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel 
to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. He wants us to see it. Well, I'm not going to be there. Well, he wants you to see it. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. Yeah, but the church isn't going to be there. Jesus says, I want you to know this in the churches. All right, so like, well, I'm not going to be there. Well, don't say that to Jesus. He wants his church to know it. He wants his servants to know it. And besides that, we could run to some other scriptures like 1 Peter chapter 3. Adam did a great message on this this last summer when I was on vacation about the, uh, the day of the Lord and uh, you know, seeing all these things are going to happen. What manner of life should you be living? And one of the things that Peter, and even what we just read in 1 Thessalonians, Peter and Paul, they basically say, if this is going to happen, what kind of sobriety should we be living with? Christianity's not a joke. The gospel's not a joke. Seeing all these things that be burned up, we should be looking for and hasting unto the day of God. And knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we should persuade men. So, we're not going to be there? Yeah, but it should produce some sobriety in us and urgency. So let's look at the four horsemen. This is all we're going to do tonight. Four horsemen. Let's go to this picture here, Jimmy. This isn't the best picture. That wasn't the picture I had, was it? Is there another one? That was one of my choices. Go back to that one. This is a really cool one. I didn't do this one. It looks better than the one I have. It's just this guy has an arrow, the first guy, and I'll tell you something about the arrow thing in the next picture. But go to the next one. I'm sorry if it's not that clear. Okay, this is a courtesy of some artists online. Okay, if you're watching, Mr. Artist, thank you for this. Tell me your name and I'll tell the church. Um, anyways, uh, this was the most accurate. There's all kinds of crazy pictures out there of Revelation. I try to sift through them and say, does this match the text? Is this overdoing it? Is this underdoing it? I felt like this is a reasonable representation. I'm sorry if some of this light's diffusing from the clarity of it. Four horsemen. First, we're going to see the white horseman, the red horseman, the black horseman, and then the pale horseman. And the word for pale here means a, a light yellow with a tinge of green, like I'm going to die. The white horseman. Look what the Bible says. Let's look here. Chapter 6, verse 1. This is now the tribulation is going, and it starts out upon... A man's agreement, a man's rule in the world. That's when the clock starts. Here we go. Chapter 6, verse 1. I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. And one of the four beasts say, Come and see. One of the four beasts say, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So let's wait. John's in heaven. He hears one of the four beasts. Now, if we're going to go in order of how the four beasts were previously described, this would have been the lion-like beast. He says over to John, come and see. But when he said it, it sounded like thunder. Who would ever... I, some of us parents wish we could say things and it sound like boom, 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 thunder, you know? I, I, know? I wish I could do that. This beast, this cherub, this mighty angel says, come and see. And John's like, okay. You know, it was like thunder. And he sees, and look what he sees. Thunder is, by the way, a prelude to a downpour. And he sees a white horse. I saw him behold a white horse. Now, let's just, I'm just going to tell you what this is, and we're going to break it down. This is a false Christ. 
This is a false messiah. This is a world leader that comes on the stage and everybody goes, finally, the anointed of all anointed ones is here to save the day for this world and bring international peace and make everybody get along. And that's what they're going to do. They're going to embrace this man riding in on the white horse. You say, well, that's what Jesus does. Exactly. He's copying. He's an imposter. He's copying Jesus. He's on the white horse. He's an imposter, though. He imitates Jesus. He seems to be peaceful at first. By the way, there's other scriptures in Daniel that refer to Antichrist. And I'll try to, I don't have chapter and verse reference, but some of the description is that he comes in by intrigue. He comes in, he doesn't come in like with a threat. He comes in peaceably. That's why I'm trying to take the scripture literally. It just says this guy has a bow. Look what it says. He, he that sat on him had a bow. Now, it doesn't say arrows. So I'm just going to assume it's just John was saying everything he saw about the guy. He didn't see any arrows with him. He comes in with a weapon. He's not using it. He's got power. He's got ability. He's got some kind of ability to assault, but he doesn't. There's a bloodless takeover. There's a peaceful assuming of power is what this is. This, this man, this false Christ, this false Savior comes in. The Bible does tell us, and this, would, this, fits, this makes perfect sense, Daniel 9.27, these 70 weeks of Daniel, this last week that's supposed to get fulfilled, the 70th week, because 69 of them have been, the 69th was done when Jesus was cut off. Jesus was cut off right after the 69th week. He was crucified, and there's this one week of prophecy. It's yet to be fulfilled. But Daniel says when it does get fulfilled, he, the, the prince that shall come, is, is going to, is going to make a covenant with Israel for seven weeks. For That means seven, or for one week, which means seven years. And then in the middle of the week, he's going to break it. So this makes perfect sense. The first man on the scene is a world leader. Has a bow. He's not doing any assaults yet. Look what else it says. A crown was given unto him. He was given power. Here, you be our leader. Here, you be our power. Maybe he was a little bit more meek. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ was genuinely meek. He comes into Jerusalem, as we'll see in, in Matthew, on a, on a, on a donkey. On the, 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 the foal of a donkey. Meek and lowly, your king comes. And it appears in some way, some, not, not quite as meek, but somewhat subdued, comes on the scene. Here, be our leader. Oh, no, no. Be our, yeah, okay, you know. All right. He's a deceiver, though. All deceivableness, satanic, he's satanically empowered. It shows in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I believe it is. Satan's empowering this guy. You'll see it more clearly as you get later on in the book of Revelation. Now, <clears throat> stay with me, please. He brokers peace at first. Now, I want to read to you something. Modern-day thought, modern-day mentality. Is there not a growing... Let's just be honest. Kids, pay attention to this stuff. There is a growing... Is there not a growing mentality of like, man, man, our president fails us, and that guy's failing us, and that country's failing it. Isn't there this growing mentality of, well, if we could just get a better man, a better leader, is there not that? 
Now, there's been waves of that through time where you have like an emperor or have some kind of man that conquered. But it seems like there's this growing mentality of we just need a good leader. Somebody to just solve all of our problems and stomp out the riots and just give us peace and just settle this thing with Israel. He is going to settle something with Israel, but then he's going to break it. Listen to this. I didn't know this, and I, and I had this in my notes when I, I preached through the book of Revelation in 2010. And I had this in my notes, and I went back and I verified this. Have you ever heard of the 12th Imam? Have you ever heard of the 12th Imam? Okay. Let me tell you something that I've learned. There's a, in Islam, there's a sect of Islam called the, the Shiite branch. And they believe in the existence of a final imam, the 12th imam, who will come and usher in peace in the Middle East. And you can verify this. This is what they believe, that he'll come and usher in peace in the Middle East, if not the whole world. These followers believe that in the 10th century, this 12th imam actually already existed, but he disappeared. And he's actually, they think he actually had been taken away by God and he's hidden somewhere He's kept alive and well until the end of history where he'll come forth to lead an era of Islamic justice and peace. In 2010, the president, I don't know who the leader is of, of Iran is right now, but the current president in 2010 was overseeing the building of a mosque that was specifically built for the use of this 12th imam who was supposed to appear from God at any time. Some people are waiting on somebody, a supernatural type person. In 2007, the president of Iran prayed openly at the convening of the United Nations for the speedy appearance of this imam. That's amazing. We're reluctant to pray. You know, Americans can't pray publicly in the name of Jesus Supposedly, you know, they try to suppress that. But this president, this Muslim president, Islamic president at the UN unapologetically prays out loud, listen, for the coming of his spiritual leader. He opened his speech at the United Nations on September 25th, 2005 by praying, quote, O God, he said Allah, hasten the arrival of Iman al-Mahdi. That's his total name. Hasten the arrival of Iman al-Mahdi and grant him good health and victory and make us his followers. Satan would be glad to bring out somebody like that. So there's this, there is people, there are people like that. Go ahead and go to the next slide, Jimmy. It just singles out the one horse there. There are people like that that are looking for that. They're, they're going, eh, I don't know about this Jesus coming back. They just, they've dismissed Jesus. And people who, con this is the theology, I believe, according to 2 Thessalonians. People who conscientiously dismiss the gospel in Jesus Christ will follow him after the rapture. Because they will, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved, 2 Thessalonians says, God will say, you want, you want something else in? I'll give you strong delusion that you'll believe a lie. And they'll follow them. There'll be some who are not believing a lie, who are not, have no conscientiousness to some level to the gospel, who yet will believe after this guy arrives on the scene, they'll be like, I don't know about this. 
And there'll be at least 144,000 Jewish men who will truly believe on Jesus Christ as their Savior and will suffer dearly for it. But here this man comes in. Here's this white horse. John says, I saw this white horse. He comes trotting in. And by the way, well, before we go to the next point, this, one's, this one kind of sets the stage here. There are some, historically, some religions have thought this actually was Jesus when they book, read the book of Revelation. The Jehovah's Witnesses thought, think this is Jesus. There's Jesus right there. That horse is Jesus. Uh, there were some Christians, some Puritans, who thought this in the book of Revelation represented Jesus. And um, I think it's an error. If this were Jesus, if this were the real Christ, then we wouldn't see these other horses following. Because when Christ comes back, yes, it's a white horse too, but he doesn't have a bow. He has a sword. And he has a, a, a blood-stained, I can't remember what garment, a blood-stained, and it's very clear this is the sacrificed lamb coming back in his glorified body, also called the Word of God, and in righteousness he will judge and make war. It'll be very clear, and the result will not be devastation that you're going to see right now. The result will be a utopia of God. This isn't Jesus. If it was, we wouldn't have this next one, and the next one, and the next one. Let's go to the red horse. Look at verses 3 and 4. John says, I saw a red horse. The second beast, verse 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second beast. It was probably the calf-like looking angel. Say unto me, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. Jimmy, go to the next slide there. Another horse that was red. And there was given unto him that sat there on power to take peace from the earth that they should kill one another is given unto him a great sword this is the summarize it i believe this is picturing war and that parallels the words that jesus said in matthew 24 verse 6 and 7 about war and bloodshed so at some point this world leader's on the scene but it doesn't quite help because there's some kind of war war breaks out war is going to break out in a disastrous way in a universal way one day on the earth. Bloodshed. It was given unto him power to take peace. Him that sat on there and took peace. Given him power to take peace from the earth. So the peace that the, this first guy on white horse had established, taken away. Taking peace from the earth. Killing. The removal of peace, war involves international war, civil war, riots, rapes, pillaging, thefts. It's going to break out. Let me read something to you. But this year has been weird, hasn't This last year has been weird. Uh, we saw some riots, people over, overdoing their concern about racism, I would believe. Racism is a problem, but I think they were going too far on some of these, with all these riots and trying to do some unreasonable things. There's some places that <clears throat> were dangerous to be around. Law enforcement just throws up their hands and gives up because liberal voices in their community are saying, defund the police, which is ridiculous. There was riots in our country here and there this last year. And we had this nonsense at the Capitol on, Jan on January 6th. This is, that's going to look like nothing compared to what's coming. Listen to this. Here was, you could look this up too. On, maybe some of you all remember this that are, that are older than me. Jan, July 13th, 1977 in New York City. Listen to this. 
July 13, 1977, there was a major uh, thing that broke out. I'm going to read this to you. Exactly at 8.37 p.m., lightning struck a power station on the Hudson River, tripping two circuit breakers. Then lightning struck again, and two transmission lines went out, causing others to be overloaded. Approximately 20 minutes later, another bolt of lightning struck, taking out even more transmission lines. The power company experienced a thermal overload, which caused even more problems. One hour after the first lightning strike, the entire power system was shut down in New York City. At 9.45 p.m., New York City was in a total blackout. Now, how did people react? Were they running over to people and saying, oh, let me help you, or helping business owners, you know, uh, close down their business and make sure everything's okay because it's so dark? No. Here's how people reacted. People by the thousands headed for the streets. Looting and arson erupted. On Broadway Street, a, the rumble of iron store gates began, the rumble of iron store gates began being forced open and the shattering of glass preceded the scenes. There was, and then the scenes following were people carrying couches, televisions, and heaps of clothing being paraded through the streets by looters who were both defiant and gleeful. The looters began looting other looters and knives came out. Pretty soon thousands were hurt as riots broke out all over the city. Do you get this? Power goes out in New York City, 1977 at night. And what did, come on, don't we have, isn't, we're just good people, aren't we? Well, the demons of, our, of us came out and it looting and thou, in one night, this is only one night of darkness. In one night of darkness, 1,600 stores were looted and 1,037 fires were started. The, the uh, Congress, did, they, they did a congressional study on the cost of all. What did all this cost us? Back in 1977, they did a study and they found that the cost of the damage for one night without light and all the damage that took place was $300 million. That'd be $1.3 billion today. For just one night, the lights could not be turned on in New York City and people believed that they were beyond the reach of the law and the demands of civility. Now, the honest truth, to tell you the rest of the story, people did get arrested and prosecuted, and they ought to have. But isn't that, isn't that amazing how just it broke out, all that violence in that little spot? Well, this is something similar. This is, there's going to be a breaking out of chaos at some point in the tribulation with this red horse. Let's go to the next horse here. The black horse. Number three of four horses. All right, John says, what did you see, John? The third beast, the beast that has a calf-like, or pardon me, the beast that has a um, man-like face, said, come and see. And I beheld, verse 5, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. Interesting, he's this man on the black horse. That's uh. Means trouble. Black horse, black plague. Remember the phrase black plague? Trouble's coming here. Trouble, here comes trouble riding in. He's got a scale. 
showing some kind of measurement. And this is what we're going to see is famine. The first one was false messiah. The next one was war. This third one is famine. Famine usually follows war. See, we're not accustomed to this. We've been cared for in this country. But you follow places where there was war. Then after the war, it wasn't like, okay, let's just clean this up and get back to normal. No. Fields are devastated. Um, Factories are destroyed. We don't just, oh, let's go back to normal. That was a nice game. No. It's famine. Famine is scarcity. Famine follows the devastation of war. Food is carefully distributed out. It's probably showing that the government exerts tight control here. So they have the scale. And notice the language here. Um, verse 6, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny. And three measures of barley for a penny. Try to give you the long story, making the long story short on that statement. It's basically saying, don't think of a copper penny. All right? Don't think of that. This is a penny and another. It's like denarius, I think was the word. Um, the, he's saying what people are going to get, a penny was one day's wage for a typical field laborer. According to Matthew, the parable of Matthew, you've worked a day, you get, there's your penny. Be like just a day's wage. You get one meal for working one day. Measure of wheat or two measures of barley. Either one of those choices on the menu. Wide choices there, huh? That's that, the, 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 the amount that's telling you is just the amount for one meal. You work all day for one meal. Some of us, we don't work at all and we get three and snacks in between. Right? No, you work and you get one meal here, a measure of wheat. Wow, so it's scarcity. Scarcity is taking place here. Um, but then the rich are unaffected. Notice what it says here. Uh, this is what many believe this phrase means. The Lord is saying, there's a, again, the voice out of the midst of the four beasts said, this is how it's going to be for the scarcity. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now, there's a couple different takes on it. One of one that takes is saying, well, God's saying, you know, Oil and wine were used for medicinal purposes, and so God's showing mercy, and so don't hurt that so that they can still have these sources that show medicine on them. I guess so, it could be, but most other commentators are saying oil and wine were employed by the more, it was a luxurious item, the wealthy. So what it's most likely saying is, though, while there's scarcity right here, now you're getting this division of rich and poor getting spread out hard and even more. The rich are unaffected by it. I got my oil, I got my wine. I'm good. And the poor are having a hard time. Now eventually the rich and everybody's going to suffer. But it seems like the rich are unaffected by this black horse judgment so far. The last horse. Let's go to this here. The last horse. This pale horse. It's hard to see him. But the pale horse. Look what it says there in verse 9. Or pardon me, verse 7. And when he had opened the fourth seal. I heard the voice of the fourth beast, probably the, the beast that had the eagle-like face, say, come and see. And I looked and behold a pale horse, a pale horse. And his name, 
that sat on him was death, and hell followed him. Let's look at this. Pale horse, the word for pale here, the, 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 um, the word means pale with a tinge of green, very sickly. Has anybody ever heard of chlorosis? Probably, Steve was here, he'd probably know what this. Chlorosis, okay. Um, a human, chlorosis in humans is a type of anemia where you start to look like that. Pale and maybe a tinge of green. Sickly. That's the word here. I, I, I don't mean to be funny by this. I, I, I was sad. There was a, I don't know who this guy is. I haven't seen him for probably 10 years, but there was a guy. We live over here in Finley Farm, Greenfield, and Warner area. We go shopping at Fry's, Valvista and Warner. Um, and for a while there, there was a guy I'd occasionally see when I go to Fry's or drive by this. There's a guy, he's a little taller than me, very, very skinny. And I'm telling you, when I saw him, I'm like, that guy's dying. I don't know what he had. I'd see him sometimes walk, ride his bike, you know, and he's skin and bones, and he's looked pale with a tinge of green. And he'd go, he'd get, I mean, his pants was like, they were loose. And he'd go into fries sometimes, get whatever he needed, and come out. And I haven't never seen that guy for a long time. If he moved, I don't know if he moved or if he got over whatever he has, but he looked. I didn't even know this word yet. I don't think I had studied this, but I thought, that's death right there. That's death. And I felt sorry for this guy. The, the Lord says, I, or to, to, or John sees this horse that's pale green, and the rider that's on there is, it's not any better. It's death. His name's death, and hell followed him. So there's a partnership here. Death and hell followed him. Look what it says there. Power was given unto them. Look at the rest of verse 8. Over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. So you have this white horseman. He cannot sustain peace. War breaks out all over the place. After war or on the heels of it, famine, people are frustrated and all this. And next thing you know, you have people dying because they're frustrated. They're killing each other. There's hunger. There's death. And the beasts, animals turn on humans. They're hungry too. They're coming in. You know, maybe this is the one time the lion does come in the street, Brother Adam. You know, the proverb. But normally that doesn't happen. But um, pestilence would include animals. Jesus mentioned this in Matthew 24, verse 7 and 8. He alluded to this horseman. Okay, let's think about this. Death and hell followed him. Here's fire. Some of the newer translations say Hades. Does Hades sound hot? Doesn't Hades sound kind of like some kind of Greek guy somewhere? Maybe not to you. That's what I think. I think, oh, it's just kind of Greek mythology. Oh, it's hell. This is fire. See, the, it follows what's happening to some of these people that are dying. Hell follows. As if, you know, some people are like, uh, you know, the, the misery and the suffering in this life is bad, but they like, well, you know, it'll be all over. For some, it's not all over when they die. Oh, we got to be sober to that. Hell follows. I want to give two takeaways, and I'm going to revisit that mentioning of hell in the second takeaway. We're closing up here. 
Just go to the next picture, Jimmy. I don't have anything else. Just a summary of these four horsemen, and that's it. Two takeaways. Let's, as we look at this, let's, we realize that, number one, man's efforts to bring about world peace are going to fail. Now, we ought to be people of peace. We're blessed are the peacemakers. We should be trying to have peace one with another. If you're in civic leadership, you should work for that, all that stuff. But for the long term, it's not going to happen. Uh, you know, um, Israel, I, 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 it's nice to have these temporary world, these covenants, peace and all that. It's nice. And, but you know what? They, let's just be honest. Israel cannot have long-standing peace until they accept Jesus. That's Bible coming out at you right there. And, and the world's not going to have long-standing peace until we accept Jesus. The world's going to think they're going to achieve it with Antichrist. Perhaps there's going to be some kind of utopia they begin to build. They think, we can do this like Babel, and look what we can do, and it's going to fail. Man's peace efforts eventually fail. But, but the Prince of Peace will bring it about, and it starts in our soul, accepting Him as our Savior. Man's peace effort. Number two, this is where I want to, this is the main thing here. Hell does not have to follow. Hell does not have to follow. Let's, think, let's back up a little bit. We, we saw some death in, this, in these horsemen. We see famine. We see war, pestilence. We see um, beasts attacking people, disease. We see that. Now, let's be honest. Is it, can we taste some of that right now? We don't have to be in a tribulation. We can taste some of that, right? Some, some of us may, have, may go to war, or some of you may have been in war. Some of us have had a disease or are dealing with a disease. Some of us had to deal with a pestilence or, or killing or whatever. We, we will taste some of these things. We'll taste some of them. It's just going to happen. In this life, we're going to have these th things we're going to taste. But when we die, what follows heaven. But for these, they're going to taste all these things in a great amount, and when they die, hell follows. But I'm just saying to those listening here and those that are watching, hell does not have to follow. You will have to taste some discomfort and disease. That's a must. You, have, you will have tribulation in this life. Man is born unto adversity as the sparks fly upward, Job said. We're going to have to feel things that are uncomfortable. Nobody's going to live in a utopia until you are with Jesus. But hell does not have to follow. Hell does not have to follow. Hebrews 2, 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? This is avoidable. That fire right there is avoidable. That's avoidable through Jesus Christ. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? If we say, ah, that's just Jesus, just another religion. You're not going to escape. So I, somebody that may not know the Lord as their Savior watching or in here, don't despise this. There's no escape. Hell would follow if you despise the salvation of God. And for us as Christians, we shouldn't despise our stewardship of the gospel. This is what delivers people from hell believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. The way to peace with God is Romans 5, 8, and 9. But God commendeth His love toward us. Now he loves us, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. I'm saved from wrath through Jesus. We'll close with this. There was a pastor that uh, I had read. He 
he's got some preaching he'd done, and I've read some of his material, and it's helpful. <clears throat> his name's Stephen Davies, and here's what he said uh, as he wound down his message in this passage. He said, we're, I'm paraphrasing, he says, we're all born into a funeral procession. <laughs> we're all born, we're really marching into a funeral procession, but when we accept Christ, it becomes a wedding march. He says, my job is to help people see, thinking of all these horses, help people see what horse they're hitched to. Don't hitch to the wrong horse. And to hitch their wagon to the Savior's yoke. This isn't the right person to hitch your life to Christ or any of the antichrists that are in the world. Antichrist voices. Attached to Jesus through a genuine faith relationship is what I need to be. It's what we need to be. And have a sobriety about what's happening here. Let's just pray together.